0: Hey, this is Junior Ziegler. Thanks for listening to my podcast. I hope this time in God's Word encourages you. Hope it brings you closer to God. Hope it challenges your perspective. Glad you're joining. Enjoy the message. I want to kind of give you a little bit of a caution here. Uh, This question can elicit some undealt with pain. Uh, this question can be difficult to kind of sift through, and, uh, and I just want to go there, okay? But we got our Bibles, we're going to have our Bibles open together today as a church, and so I think this is the best time to really vi- revisit maybe some uh, undealt with pain. So I'm going to throw you this question right here. Has your trust ever been broken? Has your trust ever been broken? We could really just say, I mean, I, I probably should have just said, when has your trust ever been broken, right? Because we've all been there, right? We've all been there. This can be, again, this can be a painful thing to revisit because trust is like this fragile currency relationally, isn't it? Relationships are only as strong as the uh, trust that they're built upon. Um, A popular saying is is that organizations move at the speed of trust. Trust is a big deal, and so when it's broken, it's a big deal. I I like to think of trust like a sandcastle. Take some time to, to build it and form it. But with one wave, it can come crashing down in a matter of seconds. Has that ever happened to you? You know what that's like? Maybe you trusted that employee and, and they stole from you. Maybe they uh, hurt your business and, and broke your trust. Maybe it's a significant other and, and you trusted them and you gave them your heart, but they broke your trust. Maybe as a friend or a family member, maybe it was a church, maybe it was a leader and you trusted them. Maybe you trusted them for a good long time with a lot and that trust was broken. You ever been there? I think like we all have it at some level and it hurts, doesn't it? I had a friend named Andrew in grade school and in middle school and we were good pals. We were the best of pals, uh, played on all the same sports teams, uh, went to the same school, uh, did many sleepovers. He's the reason that I passed algebra, actually, because he helped me with my homework. And I'm the reason he passed English, because I would help him with his homework. And we were just we were kind of each other's tutors in that sense. But we were good, good friends. I got into middle school and we started liking the same girl. And maybe you remember middle school. That just happens in middle school, right? And which I didn't care. He was my friend, you know, bros before girls, like that's how the saying goes, right? And so if he, if he wanted her, that was, that was fine with me. I, I was okay, like may the best man win. But I clearly remember one day walking behind uh, him and this girl that I liked and I was walking behind them and, and he didn't know that I was there and, and I overheard him making fun of me to this girl that I liked. And he was making fun of my ears. They, they stuck out at that age. I was pretty self-conscious about that actually. I got made fun of a lot uh, in middle school uh, for my ears. People would stick pictures of monkeys on my locker um, or they would walk behind me and whisper just loud enough for me to hear. And Then when I turn around and say, what? They would go, oh, his ears are so big, they can pick up everything. Um, you guys are just jerks laughing about that. Um, no, just you can laugh about it now. It's funny now, but back during this time, it really—I was very self-conscious about it. it. It really did hurt me, and so um, so people would make fun of me, but never my friends. Friends don't do that, right? And that really hurt. And I remember thinking as they walked off, I remember standing there thinking, "Man, if I can't trust my best friend, then maybe I shouldn't have many or any." Ever have that thought? Remember in 8th grade, a couple years later, I liked this other girl in my class and Um, during study hall one day her best friend passed me a note folded like ornate origami. I don't know how you girls did it in middle school. I could never figure out how you folded paper that way, but I got this letter and I tried to figure out how to open it up and, and it was from my crush and it read, do you like me? Check yes or no? And I checked yes and immediately I turned beet red. It was the first time I ever told a girl, I ever went public about liking a girl and I felt so vulnerable and I tried to fold it back up but I couldn't and I gave it back and and then she wrote back, I like you too. And I played it cool on the outside, you know, but on the inside, I was like doing a flip. And, you know, this girl likes me. And she told me and I told her. And I didn't know what that meant. Like, I was new to this. Like, are we boyfriend, girlfriend now? Yeah, does this work? Are we exclusive? I mean, I checked. Yeah, should I be shopping for a ring now? How, how does this really work? And, <laughs> and I, was a pretty shy, I was a pretty shy boy, and, and I still kind of am shy. And so I, I did what any ladies' man, eighth grader would do. I ignored her, Yeah. You know. <laughs> If she came near, if she came in the room, I'd run off. I didn't know what to do with, you know, what's going on here. But I still had this big crush on her, you know, and I would tell my friends about it. Like, yeah, yeah, she's my girlfriend. She likes me. Told me so in a note. I checked, yes, we're pretty serious. And she would come to some of my soccer games uh, after school. But I remember late one fall, she brought this new guy to the soccer game, to my state tournament. And I remember standing on the field and saying to my friend on the field as I made eye contact with her, with her as she was sitting by this new guy. and I couldn't compete with this new guy, by the way. I mean, he could talk to her face to face. And they actually sat next to each other. It's very serious. And I was devastated. And I remember whispering to my friend on the field. I said, man, girls are the worst. They just can't be trusted. And then God filled my house with them. But... <laughs> but I had a thought. I had this thought that I'm sure it's a thought that you've struggled with before. You know, if that's what it means to give my heart, then maybe I should be a little bit more careful about who I give my heart to. And And I wish that was just middle school. I wish it ended in middle school, but I think we all know middle school never ends, does it? We just kind of get older and middle school just never ends. And I'm sure you could say the same thing, but I had a friend a few years ago that I was investing in. Um, He was one of my leaders and sacrificed a good chunk of time to be with him and be there for him and encourage him. And I was kind of his mentor, only to have him turn on me and kind of come after me and poison other people against me. And when that happened, I remember wrestling with the thought, a dangerous thought, especially as a pastor, but I remember wrestling with the thought, if that's what it means to care, that's what happens when you invest in someone, Then maybe I just shouldn't do that anymore. Now, I know I can't live my life that way, but it doesn't mean that the emotion of that isn't there. And I don't mean for this to be a pity party, but my my trust still gets broken sometimes. Uh, There have been people... Um, who I've been closer to, uh, who've left our church, which I understand, like the bridge isn't for everybody. I get that. that, that's okay. But sometimes when people leave, they try to kick you on your way out. And so sometimes they'll point at me or my teaching and they'll say, you know, just don't really connect with Junior's teaching anymore. You know, he goes too far and says offensive stuff or he doesn't go far enough. And then they'll say these things. And my initial reaction when it gets back to me is to say to my close friends, you know, fine. See, if I care, the good, good riddance, go, who cares? But in reality, under that pseudo-tough facade, I'm just hurting over it. Just hurting that somebody would do that because there's a fracture of trust. And that's how leaders isolate. This is why people isolate, because when a level of trust is broken, it hurts. And we get defensive, and sometimes we carry that pain throughout life, living like a turtle in a shell. And we all know we can't live our lives that way. We all are at some level. And again, I don't say this to for you to pity me because you've had similar experiences you could probably even tell worse stories than mine we all have trust issues and those are just a few instances of where my trust issues come from but all of us have been through situations where we'll go into a situation we'll get totally burned trust is broken and we wonder is there any recovery from this i'm hurting and should there be any recovery from this and this is when we start to develop defense mechanisms you know, like acting all tough, or, or we'll talk about, oh, we just hate people, or we grab that one or two friends, we just kind of isolate ourselves, and we start developing these popular social defense mechanisms, and then we start thinking thoughts that all of us have thought before. Things like, well, maybe I just shouldn't open up again. Maybe I, maybe I just shouldn't get close to anyone again. Maybe I, maybe I shouldn't be in a relationship again. Maybe I shouldn't go to church again. Maybe I should just never be vulnerable again so that I don't have to feel what I just felt. You ever wrestle with that? This last story in Sunday School Remix deals exactly with that feeling. Philemon is where we're going to be today. Philemon, really encourage you to grab a Bible. Uh, if you came in and you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. You're not the only one. We got Bibles in the chairs. page is on the screen, but Philemon chapter 1. I say Philemon chapter 1. It's kind of weird to say that because Philemon only has one chapter, as you'll see, but Philemon chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 4 through 18, let me pray. Father, we thank you that we can gather together, uh, that we can worship you and and turn the spotlight on you and focus on your greatness and, and your goodness and your might and your love. We thank you that you enjoy our worship despite the kind of week we had despite how much we maybe even feel like we've let you down this week, but you enjoy our worship, we thank you for that. We thank you that we can give to you to support uh, so much going on around the world for your kingdom. And we also thank you that we can open up your word, that you speak to us. So, Father, may we take this time very seriously, understanding that these are your words, the God of this universe is speaking to us. May you do a surgery on our heart if you must. May you shake us a little bit if need be. Please speak to us for we are listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Philemon. Philemon is not a a book that gets a lot of exposure. Um, Some of you may have never even heard of the book of Philemon. My mother-in-law was here last night, and we got home after I preached, and she was like, what book were you preaching out of? I've never heard of Philemon. That's in the Bible. I was like, yeah, it's it's in there. It's just a small little book, as you can see, only 25 verses long. Um, I like to kind of think of it as like a text message. Because uh, all the other epistles, like the letters are longer letters. This one's just kind of like a, a, it's a little text. It's that short. But there's a lot jam-packed into this uh, little text message. Now at surface level, this letter looks like Paul is calling on a, a favor for an old friend. He's just kind of texting an old friend and asking for a favor, um, which I think we've all done that. I did that just a couple weeks ago. We have a couple uh, more well-resourced people in our church who have said to me, uh, Junior, if the church ever needs anything, just shoot me a text. And so a, last, a couple weeks ago, our, our students needed to go to camp and we didn't have any vans or buses. And so I reached out to a couple more well-resourced guys and they said, you know, hey, can we use your buses? To head up to camp, and they, they let us do that, which is awesome. Um, but that's kind of like what this letter seems like. Paul's just kind of texting in an old friend, saying, "Hey, can I can I get this favor from you?" But when you get a little bit deeper, you see there's a lot more to it. Uh, here's the context as to what's going on. Paul is sitting in Rome, and he writes this text message, so to speak, to his old friend named Philemon. Philemon and Paul met in Rome. This is where Paul is sitting in prison, awaiting death. Philemon uh, is now as Paul is writing from Rome, is now in Colossae. So Philemon is sitting in Colossae, Paul's in Rome, Paul texts Philemon, so to speak, and Paul is going to ask a favor of Philemon, and this favor is going to make Philemon revisit some of his trust issues. This is going to be a little bit painful for Philemon to, uh, to sift through, and so we're going we're gonna to get into that now. So let's read a good chunk of this, starting in verse 4. Paul writes this, He says, Philemon, I thank God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I love that description. I would love that said about me someday. Verse six, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good work that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. I think that's just one of the best compliments that you can ever have. You ever get around somebody and they're just refreshing to be around? And there's some people you get around and they're just kind of like draining because all they want to do is talk about themselves. You can't get a word in edgewise and just kind of draining. That's not Philemon. Philemon is one of those guys just refreshing to be around. He refreshes the saints. And so Paul is making his compliment and he's serious about it. But what he's really doing here is he's setting up the issue. He's about to get into uh, the issue Now, before we get into the issue, before we read these next words, uh, let me give you some background so that we can understand um, the rest of this a little bit better. Uh, Philemon, who's getting this letter, previously in the past, he had a bondservant. Now, a bondservant is someone who had a debt, and to pay it off, they would become a servant to their to their loaner to to pay it off. So if I wanted, let's say I wanted to buy your house back then, I could come to you and say, Hey, I will be your servant for this amount of years. And then after that was amount of years, then I will own your home. Um, So it was agreed upon time. Sometimes bond servants would pay off their debt and then they would keep working for their master uh, for a stipend. They'd actually put like a wooden awl through through their ear. And so Philemon had had in the past this bond servant named Onesimus. Onesimus was working off a debt or uh, was a legitimate employee of Philemon, and something happened between the two in their working relationship, which happens at work, doesn't it? Something happened between the two, we don't know the details of it. Uh, could have been that Philemon was just a very difficult boss to work for, and, and Onesimus kind of bucked the system and responded by running off. Uh, could have been that Onesimus stole something, that's what I was taught when I was, when I was growing up, that Onesimus stole something. That's just kind of speculation though. we don't really know. It could have been that Onesimus just broke his contract and ran off, even though he had uh, time to work off. We don't know the details. Either way, something happened in their relationship, and there was a break, and Onesimus left and broke Philemon's trust. So again, Philemon is in Colossae. Uh, Paul's writing to Philemon in Colossae. Onesimus takes off a runaway, probably with a debt, um, has broken Philemon's trust, and Onesimus, small world runs into Paul in Rome. So Paul and Onesimus, they meet in Rome. Uh, Paul leads Onesimus to Jesus, and then Paul tells Onesimus, man, you got to go back. You got you to go back to Philemon. You're a new person now. You got to do what's right. You got to go back and work for him. And Onesimus is probably like, Paul, I can't do that. I broke his trust. There's a big rift between us. He probably hates me now. And Paul says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll shoot a text to Philemon, he's an old pal of mine. And now Paul is about to encourage Philemon to start the process of rebuilding some trust, which is very difficult. And so Paul says this in verse eight, I'll pull this up here on the screen. So Paul sets this up, says you're a refreshing man to be around, you're a refreshing believer. That is why I'm boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do. I love that. Paul's such a type A personality, isn't he? Like, I'm asking a favor. I could demand it, though, because it's the right thing to do, but I'm going to ask it as a favor. I mean, only Paul can get away with that. Verse 9, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, verse 10, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So Paul and Onesimus, they've started this uh, mentoring relationship. Onesimus has met Jesus. Now there's some discipleship going on. Paul is mentoring Onesimus, and Paul's feeling like a father to Onesimus. And I love verse 11. I I think this is so true of so many of us. Uh, When I die, you can just slap this on my tombstone. I I just love verse 11. It says, formerly he was useless, but now he's indeed useful to you and to me. Formerly he was useless. He broke your trust. He messed up. Useless, but now because of Jesus, he's useful. He's precious to you and to me. Philemon, this is what Paul's saying. Philemon, he's changed. He's changed. I know he broke your trust a while back, but let's reconsider the circumstances. Let's revisit this because the circumstances have changed. Verse twelve. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me and your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion of, of your own accord. Verse 15, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, Philemon, receive him as you would receive me. We got one more verse to, to hit, but I just, I want to take a pause here for a second. Here's what I find so interesting about this letter, and maybe you've already been thinking this. You can see Paul's letter in this heart, can't you? Like You can see Paul's letter here, uh, heart here. Like uh, verse 8, Paul kind of demands. Verse 12, he says, I'm sending my heart, Philemon. Uh, verse 14, Paul, Paul appeals to his heart. Like this isn't some like willy-nilly letter, like yeah, I'm just going to call in a favor here. It's very clear uh, from this letter that this whole situation is a big deal to Paul, which I think begs the question, Why? Why is this such a big deal to Paul? Why does Paul care so much about this rift? I mean, Paul's got problems of his own. He's sitting in prison in Rome. He's in death row. Why does he care about something that happened way back when that he doesn't know the details to some old pal of his? Why is Paul sticking his nose into this, so to speak? Why is this such a big deal? And on top of that, why is this included in the Bible? There's no deep, rich theological truths in this book. I mean, the Jesus is mentioned a couple times. It's not like we're we're reading like Romans here. Why is this small little situation, why is this text included in the Bible? I don't know of anybody who said, Junior, I'm going to do like this really big in-depth study of the book of Philemon. That doesn't really happen. Like, why is this included? Why is this such a big deal to Paul? Why is this included in the Bible? And here's why. Because what happened to Philemon has happened to you and will happen to you. Philemon's trust is broken. He's let down. Maybe he's crushed. It could be that Philemon is struggling with bitterness here and resentment toward Onesimus. It could very well be that when Philemon hears the name Onesimus, he kind of changes. He gets a little upset. And maybe you have that name. And when that name's brought up to you, you just kind of, I don't want to talk about that person because of what happened. So let's not go there. That could be Philemon at this point. And so it goes with you, and so it goes with me in our relationships. This little situation we don't know the details of long ago was a big deal to Paul because when it happens to you, it's a big deal to you. When our trust is broken, it throws us off. It has the potential to affect the rest of our lives, how we make decisions, how we, how we interact with the whole world. This, this is a big deal. And notice what Paul does here. Notice in this letter, he doesn't tell Philemon, hey Philemon, just get over it, man. He doesn't say, Philemon, this isn't a big deal. Why are you making such a big deal out of this? He doesn't tell Philemon, hey, Philemon, you've got to blindly trust this guy again. Instead, Paul says something that I find very curious in verse 18. He says this, If Onesimus has wronged you, Philemon, at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. What? Surface level, this seems like a ridiculous statement, doesn't it? Charge that to my account. Like, what account? They didn't have Venmo. You know, why would Paul say this? He's sitting in prison. There's no way to pay Philemon. He probably has no money to pay Philemon with, anyways. He's about to die. He can't pay Philemon anything. Like, this just kind of seems like this empty offer. I mean, if he owes you anything and just charges my account. It seems like an empty offer, but this is so brilliant. So brilliant of Paul. Paul is not talking money, he's talking relationally here. Really, what Paul is saying is this Philemon, if you can't trust Onesimus because of what he's done to you in the past, I get that, but then let me loan you some of my trust in him. If you don't trust him, fine, but then trust me. See, in this verse, in verse 18, what Paul is referring to here, and this is why I think this is so brilliant, what, what, what Paul is referring to is a term that we call relational debt. Relational debt. You ever heard of this term? Relational debt. We've all got relational debt. Think about your own relationships right now for a second. Now, think about your friendships. Now, if you're married, think about your marriage relationship. If you're dating, think about your dating relationships. Uh, if you got a job, think about your work relationships. Think about your family relationships. If you got a roommate, think about your roommate relationships. Think, think about your relationships right now. How do you assess how those relationships are going? See, in all of our minds, this isn't like right or wrong, it's just reality. In all of our minds, we have these relational accounts. And so you might be sitting there thinking, okay, well, I know my relationship with my boss is okay because on Friday, before I left work, they complimented my work. So I know that's going okay. I know that friendship is okay because, um, you know, they reached out to me or they liked my post or they complimented me last time we were together. Or I I know my marriage relationship is good because last night, you know, we had a good long talk or we went out on a date or we were intimate. So I know that relationship is good, but that family relationship, that's not so great because I haven't heard from them in a while. Uh, my roommate relationship, that's not so hot because you know that happened and, and they said this about me. That friendship isn't so great because they, I don't know, they seem to be distancing themselves from me. Or that coworker this past week, they did me wrong. So that relationship isn't so well. See, in our minds, we have these relational accounts and they're all going up and down based on our interactions with each other. We all do this. And so if your friend stands up for you, that's a relational deposit in their account. If your coworker compliments you, that's a relational deposit into their account. But if you have that friend that maybe you said something to in confidence and they took that and they gossiped about you, well, that's a big withdrawal from that account. It's a big one. If you have that boss that never shows appreciation, is unkind to you, takes advantage of you, that's a big withdrawal from their account. If you have a spouse that cheats on you, that's a big withdrawal from their account. And what happens with those relationship where there's been lots of withdrawals and no deposits over time in our minds we foreclose on those accounts it's just debt that account is always going to be debt Um, you know so let's just end that account let's foreclose on that and I'm going to distance myself from that so that debt doesn't keep on piling up and I keep on being taken advantage of we all do this right This is what Paul's referring to in verse 18. He's saying, hey, Philemon, Philemon, I know you foreclosed on Onesimus' account. I get that. He broke your trust. And if you're not ready to open that account back up, well, then charge this one to my account because I know my account is good, so charge this one to me. You see the brilliance here in verse 18? This This is ancient literature, but it's so relevant today because there have been people that I've written off And there's been people that you've written off. And maybe you had every right to write them off. They just keep on withdrawing from their accounts. And at some point, you had to just end the accounts that you weren't taking advantage of anymore. And so we write them off. We call these people exes, don't we? The ex-wife, the ex-husband, the ex-best friend, ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend, ex-roommate. But some of these relationships that we're thinking of right now, they go deeper than that. It's that parent that you had to write off. It's that brother. It's that sister that... You know, there's no relationship with them anymore. Or it's fundamentally changed, and so you had to close that account because you couldn't allow any more withdrawals, so you put up this wall, and you're thinking, okay, we're, not, we're just not going to go there anymore. I'm not going to, like, not talk to you. but I'm just not going to go there with you anymore. And sometimes this needs to happen. Sometimes this is legitimate. But our issue is, and I have this issue, this is one of my biggest sin problems, uh, and I have accountability for this. I just write people off too fast. And a lot of us, it's the same way with many of you. Just write people off too fast. Sometimes we close those accounts too quickly, just write them off. My sandcastle was smashed. I'm not, I'm not going to build it up with you again. I'm not going there again. And often this leads to developing a hard, crusty exterior. Maybe you act all tough so that people don't see that you're really hurt. And so we overprotect ourselves and we close all these accounts. And then we become extremely slow at issuing out any more trust. And it messes with our future. This is the 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 dating couple that uh, ended up in my office a a while back. They just started dating. And uh, she had some trust issues because she had an ex-boyfriend who uh, cheated on her, broke her trust. And the new guy was really struggling because he was like, man, I I can't keep paying for his past mistakes. Like, I haven't done anything, yet she just won't trust me. I'm like, I feel like I'm paying for his account. It, yeah, it's exactly what's happening. Those are tricky waters to navigate. Her trust is broken, and so she's in defense mode, and it's affecting her future relationship. It's that couple that used to go to church, love the church, but then there was some sort of scandal. Maybe the, the, the head pastor you know, had an affair or something like that, some sort of scandal, and it's heartbreaking, and so they leave to never return to church again. Not going to trust the church again, so I'm going to close that account for good. Or they go to a new church with like a chip on their shoulder, kind of looking at the leadership sideways because their trust was broken and it hurts their, how they relate to the church and their future. This is me listening to my friend Andrew make fun of my ears, walking away thinking, I just don't want to open up to anyone. I don't want to get close to anyone. I don't want to open those accounts because it just hurts. And so I'll fly solo around here to protect myself from, hurt, from feeling what I just felt. We've all been there. Some of us walked in here today having been there for years and we've grown bitter and we've grown cynical, we've grown a little jaded, and we've developed this pseudo tough persona and maybe even a dark humor as this defense mechanism. And I believe that God wants to speak right into your heart right now past the defense mechanisms, past piercing that hard outer shell. And he wants to speak right into your heart, a heart that maybe you haven't opened up in years, to deal with something that needs to be dealt with the correct way so that you can experience life and relationships and God the way you were intended to. And I know for some of you, running with this idea and really going there can be frustrating. Maybe you've even been fighting it especially those of you who are in the midst of it right now. I mean, some of you might be sitting there thinking, Junior, we're talking about big trust issues right now. Like, let's be careful, Junior. This is, I got some big trust issues, and it's emotional. But hey, we got our Bibles open. We're a church family. Let's allow God to speak into that together. In some way, this sits close to home to all of us because we've all been there at some level. So what do you do when your trust has been broken? What do you do when you're feeling that pain? Here's where you start. Number one, heal. Heal, because I know a number of you are really going through it. And I see the prayer cards, and I pray through those prayer cards. And, and I know there's many people in our church family. I hate that it's true, but it's just reality. There's many people at the bridge who are really hurting because their trust has been smashed in the last couple months. Marriages, families, work relationships—it happens. Others of you have been carrying trust issues for a long time and there hasn't been any healing. This is where you start. You know, I, I've, I've, uh, I've been to conferences or I, I've sat in churches where sometimes like an overly emotional like speaker will get up and be all manipulative and be like, you just gotta heal. And I remember sitting there and like in the uh, chairs, thinking, okay, I didn't even know what that means. Right? Like part of me looks at this and goes, okay, what does heal even mean? Like whoop-de-doo, you know, heal. Like does this mean I got to like cry it out? I don't even know what this means. Like heal, poof, okay, whatever that means. It's kind of like hippie new age, like you just got to heal. I know, I know how this can sound. I get that. At the same time though, this is a very important step that many times we miss. I think of it a lot like when I was 12. Uh, I thought I was this really cool BMX biker. It's kind of like who I wanted to be. I wanted to be like this, uh, you know, skate parks and all that. I, I built my own Dino GT. I don't know if you remember, like the GT Dino bikes. I built my own with my cousin. It was an awesome bike. I wish I still had it. But I built this, and I was going off some jumps with some friends, and I went off a rather big jump. And when I landed, my foot slipped off the pedal and hit the sprocket on my bike, tore open my leg. Um, it was bad. I had stitches in my muscle, which I didn't even know you could do that. Uh, stitches in my skin. It was this pretty nasty wound. And it looked really gross. And so when I got home from the ER, I kept it bandaged for weeks. Never took the bandage off. Um, never let my leg stretch out. You know, I kept it still covered and stationary and I just kind of limped around if I had to, ever had to go anywhere until I went to the doctor and it was like a checkup and the doctor looked at it and said, man, June, you got to air it out. You, you got to air that out. The skin isn't healing well. It's always covered. You got to move your leg. You're protecting it too much. You're not allowing it to heal. And that's what happens so often when our trust is broken. Because it's embarrassing when our trust is broken, isn't it? It's embarrassing when your best friend makes funny to the girl you like. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing when you're cheated on. It's embarrassing when you're left out. It's embarrassing when you're gossiped about. And so we don't want to show that we're hurt. We don't want to show that embarrassment. So we cover it up. We don't stretch and move. We conceal it, hide it, and guard it. And as a result, it just never heals we got to air it out a little bit. By airing it out, I don't mean like going on social media and writing up this big, long, sappy post about what happened to you because people get annoyed with those kind of posts. By air it out, I mean get into a small group. Talk to the small group. Hey, this happened to me in the past, and uh, I don't know if I'm necessarily over it yet. I'm not asking for anything from you guys. I just want some prayer about this. If you could please pray for me. It's airing it out a little bit. It's getting into a support group. We have a lot of support groups here at the bridge a lot. It's getting into one of those groups and just kind of opening up a little bit to other people who are also hurting. Uh, It's getting into Celebrate Recovery on Tuesday nights and kind of talking through that that hurt. Uh, If you've been cheated on, you should get counseling here at church. You should just do that and talk to somebody and air it out and move it around, so to speak. Just telling someone and praying with someone, there's healing in that, more than you'd think. So some of us got to take off the bandage and focus on healing. Bring someone in that can pray for you and listen to you and challenge you and challenge you. Okay, That's what a good physical therapist does. right? Bring in somebody who, could, like a group leader, a counselor, a pastor. Bring in someone who will listen and pray, but also challenge you. Don't bring in that friend who's just going to tell you everything you want to hear. There's no healing in that. Find someone who's going to listen to you, pray for you, but also push you and challenge you. But heal. I'm not telling you, just get over it. I'm not telling you to walk out of here and act like everything's great, because probably not. Focus on healing. Focus on healing. Number two, uh, second one. This is really where the rubber meets the road. Uh, this next one's going to be a little bit difficult for some of you to write, but we got to go there, okay? Number two, number two, trust again. Trust again. I know some of you are really struggling to even write those two words, but trust again. I'm not saying you have to trust them again. I'm not saying you have to do that, because sometimes you can't. If my kids were ever abused by someone, if I didn't kill them, I certainly would never let them babysit my kids. So I'm not saying trust them, because maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you should, like Philemon with Onesimus, but maybe you shouldn't. But maybe you should. um, I'm so glad Onesimus was trusted once again, because uh, church... History legend kind of has it that Onesimus was a huge part in preserving God's word moving forward, going to different churches and kind of overseeing the, the process of, of uh, copying and preserving God's word. Onesimus was a big part of that. So I'm glad that he was trusted again, but maybe you can't trust them again. Maybe you can't place your trust in your ex-wife again, but please trust again. Maybe you can't open up to that friend again because of what they did with that knowledge, but please open up again. Trust Again. That's what Paul is urging Philemon to do. Be open to trusting again. I'm not saying being flippant with your trust, you know, blindly trust. I'm not saying, you know, don't have boundaries. What I'm saying is, is don't make other people pay for what someone did to you in the past. Don't, please don't let go of trust because someone broke yours. You ever hear someone say, and I've said this before, but do you ever hear somebody say, oh, I'm just not a trusting person. Just not a trusting person. Paul would put his foot in the door and go, okay, let's not go there. That's not a good future. That's not a healthy you. That's not a good way to follow Jesus. Please don't close the door on trust. It's not your trust that's the problem. It's the object of your trust that's been the problem. And too many of us have closed the door on trust. And as a result, what's filled that void is bitterness and resentment and cynicism to replace it because the only alternative to step number two, the only alternative to this step is to become a cynic. You know any cynics? Can't win with cynics, can you? Always critical, feedback is always negative. Like cynics will take anything you say and kind of spin it to reject it or critique it. Cynics can never be vulnerable and they mainly talk about others to deflect opening opening up about themselves. And it's not that cynics are bad people, it's just that their heart has been broken, their trust has been broken, and they were never able to take this step. So as a result, they turned to their only alternative and they adopted cynicism, which leads to isolating yourself, maybe clinging to one or two people, but isolating yourself, sitting back and just kind of critiquing from afar, deflecting any sort of vulnerability, developing a dark sense of humor in order to divert from opening up yourself. It's miserable, I've drifted there myself before, It's the only alternative to this step. See, this is in your notes, but this is just true. Cynics project past hurts on future opportunities. This is just what cynics do, and we've all done it in the past, projecting past hurts on future opportunities. So it's the cynic that says, I can't get into a small group because they're just going to leave me out like the last one did. I can't open up again because I'll just be judged like I was before. I can't trust the church again because they'll just fall like the last ones did. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to think. And it's exactly what the enemy wants you to say. And it's in those moments you've got to fight those excuses off because cynicism kills your future. Trust, again, leave that door open. I know it's difficult. It's a constant fight. I have to fight it. As a pastor, sometimes my pull is to, uh, and I hate to even say it this way, but sometimes my pull as a pastor is to just kind of come up here and do my job, so to speak, you know? Um, We even with cell phones that keep on going off. um, And you got to push through and still do your job. It's really difficult. But sometimes my job as a pastor is to get up here and just kind of do my job, so to speak. You know, teach the Bible, and I know as I teach, there are some people who disagree and want to argue, you know, points with me, maybe some cynics that, you know, maybe sometimes get upset or, or you know, or don't like stuff, which I, which I get. It's okay. You don't have to like everything I say, by the way. I don't even know if I like everything I say. But, but my struggle is to operate like, well, I, I, I just won't open myself up much for any of that then. I'll preach, I'll go to my office and just kind of stay away from everybody. I won't get close to anybody because then if there's noise, it won't hurt as much because then the noise is just distant and I'm not near that. That's my my temptation. And I know that will get me in trouble faster than anything else. Because the way I keep a soft heart, the way I push cynicism aside, is to step out, rub shoulders, open up. The way that I keep cynicism out of my life and out of my preaching is through vulnerability. And vulnerability means you can hurt me if you want. You can hurt me if you want. And as your teacher, I, I don't have everybody speaking into my life. I don't have my ear open to everyone because that would be madness. But there are people that I'm vulnerable around. My wife is one of them. I, I trust her. She, she will not be bringing any new boyfriends to my soccer games. It's not going to happen. <laughs> um, but I have a couple friends. I have a couple family members who my ear is open to. Actually, your campus pastor is, is a big one for me, Jordan. I, I trust him. He's, he's a good, loyal friend who, who I know does not talk behind my back. He has my back. And he'll probably make fun of me for my ears now that he knows that story, but that's just kind of our friendship. And I trust him. My stuck out ears open to him, and he challenges me. And I appreciate when I'm challenged by him. And there's others because I need others. Like, yeah, like you, I've got some closed accounts. I've got some closed accounts. But I got a lot of open ones, which means my trust will get broken in the future because I'm open to that. But man, that's a heck of a lot better than the alternative. Cynicism, isolation, defense mechanisms, hard-hearted, jaded perspective. My vulnerability fights off my cynicism. Same is true for all of us. Vulnerability fights off cynicism. There's a little bit of cynicism in all of us. Vulnerability fights that off. It's worth it. If you want a soft heart, keep that door open to trust. Trust again. So number one, heal. Number two, trust again. Number three, deepen your roots in God. Deepen your roots in God. For some of you, this might be the only thing that you really need to take away for today. So if you just can't get on board with anything, let me me just say this to you. Maybe this is just something you need to hear. When your trust has been broken, pursue God like you never have before. When you're hurting and you're feeling it, Pursue God like you never have before, because our pull when we're hurting is to either you know lash out or crawl into ourselves. I'm like the worst because I want to do both. I want to crawl into myself and I want to come out, and lash out sometimes, crawl back into myself. Instead of that, though, pursue God with that emotional energy, and allow God to speak into your pain. Allow His Word to clear some of your confusion. Allow worship to calm you and center you. Deepen your roots in God. Someone who is firmly planted in the things of God, they can withstand the wounds of others, and they'll have thicker skin. Doesn't mean there's no pain. Doesn't mean it all makes sense and is hunky-dory. Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. But someone with roots deep into God, they will be like a tree, planted by streams of water, because their main object of their trust is not in mere human. The main object of their trust is in the one who will never let them down. And there will be relational withdrawals and there are accounts from family and, and friends. But, but the bank never closes because it's founded on the one who never leaves nor forsakes. And it's that person with deep roots into God who can go into relationships going, hey, I know these people can hurt me. And some of them probably will. It's going to happen. But even if they do, that's not where my source of identity comes from. It's in someone much greater. That's what a Christian is, really. Like, bottom line, a Christian is just a regular, flawed human being with trust issues who chooses to put their trust in someone who can be trusted. Deepen your roots in God. Take some time to heal. Air it out. Trust again. Stay vulnerable. and Deepen your roots in God. I've asked uh, Jansen and uh, Earl to come out here. They're going to come out here and and get set, and we're going to go into a time of reflection in in just a a minute here. But um, as they get set, I want to finish with this, and I want you to hear this. When your trust has been broken, when you're feeling that pain, you are presented with a fork in the road of life. And many of you are there right now, and you have been there, and you feel that. There's a fork in the road in life when your trust has been broken. One road is the easier road. It's the road that many of us have taken. It's hide the embarrassing wound, don't let anybody in, lash out, get tough, crawl into yourself. And that road leads to a disconnect with God because you end up a crusty, cynic with a hard heart, future ruined, and you're not you. The enemy is pushing you there. Don't walk that road, fight that. Now the other road is more difficult, heal, air out the wound to the right people, get the right people around you, trust again, stay vulnerable even though it hurts, and deepen your roots in God. That path is much more difficult, but it's that path that leads to a stronger connection with God because your heart is soft and malleable and your roots are deep into God. Take the road less traveled. Some of you have taken the first road, and I don't stand up here and blame you or casting shame. I've been down there that road myself more than I'd like to admit. God is calling you to take a U-turn, to set aside the defense mechanisms, to heal, step out, trust again, and allow your heart to soften. And God is ready to meet you there, arms wide open, saying, there you are. There you are. Welcome home. This difficult road's a lot harder to walk, but it has a better future for you. Let's walk that together. Hey, thanks again for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe. Better yet, hit that share button. Maybe screenshot it, share it with your friends. Thanks again for joining in. And until next time, God bless.